asking, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 25 is where we'll begin this morning. Hopefully as you came in, you were able to grab an outline and that will be our guide through God's Word this morning and looking at some of the truths revealed for us there. And the answers to that outline will be provided on the screens or excuse me, on the screen behind me, uh, I am, I've got to admit, as I came in this morning, as I was sitting here, and I, I looked at our uh, Advent candle set and unlit, and I just couldn't bring myself to take it away yet this morning, and I was a little sad after we watched the IMB video this morning for Annie Armstrong, I was half expecting a family to come up here and do Advent reading, and so I kind of had a little bit of panic that I hadn't written an Advent reading, and then I realized that there was no more Advent readings and reminded myself, but it's just a great reminder that the season of Advent builds the anticipation all the way up to Christmas, and then we get Christmas Day, and then it, uh, in the season of Advent, it's meant to mimic or, or model the anticipation that is continuing to build within us as we await and look forward to the second Advent of Christ. And so as we look at God's Word, as we've moved through the Christmas story this morning, we've got two more characters to analyze. Now, some of you might be wondering to yourself, you know, we've gone through Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, and we've gone through Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and, and we, we went through Christmas Eve on our, at our candlelight service, the birth story of Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem and giving birth to, to Jesus and all that surrounded that. So you might be wondering to yourself, like, who's left? And in fact, we're looking at this morning two characters that are often left out of the Christmas story. You won't find them in the nativity scene. I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this sermon. Like, I kind of wish we did have these two characters part of the nativity scene. We'd have to kind of put them off over here somewhere because they're completely separate from the traditional Christmas story. You know, as we look at God's Word, anytime we approach it in a series like this or something, we're looking for a long thread of truth or those major themes that kind of span all the, the story or the, the book or whatever it is that we're looking at. And it's, it's kind of the, the truth is already there. It's just my job to, to simply point us to it and show us how God commands and calls us to live according to it. And so there's been a constant theme building throughout this story as we've approached it over the last six weeks. And uh, that is the faith modeled by those whom God works through in this story. And this, this, this faith, this theme of faith develops as we move through the story. And we've noted it as we've gone along. But I want to take this last sermon of the series to really develop this idea and to highlight what I think... Luke, the author, wants us to see, and that is the gift of God's grace seen in the faith of those who calls, who God calls, and through the work of the Holy Spirit as we move through the Christmas story, we, as we conclude the Christmas story this morning. And so we'll learn from the response of these two characters that are often dismissed or forgotten as part of the Christmas story. However... They are inextricably linked to the arrival of Jesus. 
And so these two characters that we're going to look at this morning model for us the same measure of faith that is required for those of us who eagerly await the second advent of Jesus. And so with that, let's go to the text this morning and see what God has in store for us. I'll invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word as you are able. And again, we are in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up And began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the Christmas story and the season of Advent and and all that it entails and encompasses and challenges us to look forward to and to think about and to dwell on and all that was accomplished for us in that moment. And so, God, we pray that as we conclude this series this morning, conclude this look at uh, the Christmas story with looking at your two servants, Simeon and Anna, that you would challenge us to exhibit the same measure of faith as we eagerly await and anticipate and look forward to and live in light of your second advent. So, God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. And that we would live and walk accordingly. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. So, Ephesians 1.11 tells us that God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. So this means that God invites us to join him in accomplishing his will. Not that his will is dependent upon us or, or that anything else that happens is according to uh, our will or, or what you may call our will, but it is that he invites us, he accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. And so therefore he invites us to join along with him in accomplishing his will and his purposes. 
And as we've read through this incredible story, we've read how God used normal people, just like you and me, to accomplish his will in a miraculous way. So all along the way, we've seen how God is doing the miracles. He is the one who is doing the miracles. God is doing the calling. And God is doing the work that is bringing about Christmas Day. And then so we are moving through this, seeing that it is God who is at work here. And he is inviting and calling his followers to join him in that work. And Luke has highlighted this for us throughout his retelling, his gospel account of the events that took place surrounding the birth of Christ. And I've, I've pointed some of these things out as we've gone along and, and repeated them throughout the series. So I don't want to drone on about them here, but I just don't want us to miss God's hand in all of this and seeing the sovereignty and the providence of God. And then also seeing how he invites us to join him in accomplishing his will the very same way that we see him at work in the lives of these characters here. Because I think that is the clear motivation of Luke in including all the details that he does. So what sets these people apart? What sets apart these people? Why did God call them? Why why Zechariah and Elizabeth? Why Joseph and Mary? Why Simeon and Anna? Why, why use them to accomplish his will in this way? What sets them apart? And that is their faith. The faith exhibited by these. All of them have exhibited incredible faith in that they were ready and looking for the Messiah. Their faith results then in obedience to God's word. So first we have Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I know each week, you know, I've reminded us of what we've already seen because it gives us a greater context for what we're seeing week to week. But let me just, just humor me as I do it once again. First we've, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, faithful, righteous, old in age, childless. And Gabriel meets Zechariah in the temple to tell him of the good news that God was doing in his day. And not only will he receive the son that he has always wanted, but his son will be the forerunner to the Messiah. And that he will play a role in making the Messiah's name known throughout Israel. And so both of them, faithful to continue obedience to what the Lord was calling them to do, although Zechariah, his faith had to be grown a little bit through discipline, Then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the whole family, including unborn John, rejoices in the work that God was doing in their day. So we move along. Then we have Mary and Joseph, righteous and faithful in their own right. They were young in age, but unable to have children for a different reason than Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Gabriel appears to Mary in lowly Nazareth to tell her of the work that the Lord was doing. And then, filled with the Holy Spirit, Mary rushes to go see Elizabeth and cries out in praise, rejoicing at the work that God was doing in their time. And so now, we come to this part of the story as we we had Christmas Eve. Now, Jesus has been born. The Messiah has come. And so, as I said, some of us think there's, there's nothing left to the Christmas story, right? Advent's over. Not at all, because these two are two of my favorite characters in the Christmas story, 
because of the example exhibited by them and what God does in their midst and how God works and moves them to cry out in praise. So now we're introduced to two more characters, also a man and a woman, also old and aged, also characterized by their faithfulness and righteousness. As we read there in verse 25, and we'll read again, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, in the first verse alone here, there are a lot of things to unpack. As we've moved throughout the story, we've seen Luke. He'll introduce the character and then tell us something about the character that gives us insight into their uh, stage of life, also their age and uh, their, their faith and their spiritual life and all of those things. So there's a lot to unpack here, and I've, I've chosen to do so, as you'll see on your outline, in the form of three questions. Three questions that I believe come about naturally as we look at this story in the context of the whole. That is the whole of Scripture. And in noting and answering these questions, I think we will lay a foundation for observing and appreciating everything else that we read here in these verses. So first, the first question that we see pop up and that we've kind of seen uh, this, this thread throughout this series is what can we learn from the example of the faithful? If we are given all of these details that, that Simeon was a righteous and devout man, and we look down there to Anna, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher, and she was a prophetess. And so we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, righteous in the sight of God. We have all of these characters that we're told about their righteousness. We're told about their faith. And so one of the things we want to know is what can we learn from the example of the faithful? Now, this may seem like a repeated point, like I said, but I, I think it's a point that we have been building on throughout this story and a point that Luke wants those who read this, his gospel account to see. And the answer to that you'll see right there on your outline, is righteousness is the credit of faith. First, we learn that righteousness is the credit of faith. Now, another way to root that is righteousness is rooted in faith, or there is no righteousness apart from faith. Because that's the heart of what we're seeing there, is that righteousness is, is the credit of faith. Faith is credited to us as righteousness. These people were not faithful because of their righteousness. They were considered righteous because of their faith. And that's the important distinction that we want to make there is that they were not faithful because they were so righteous. It's not that they were doing all of these good things and they had great attendance at the temple and, and, they, uh, and, and Zechariah was really good at accomplishing his task within uh, the tribe and all of these different things. But they were considered righteous because of their great faith. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and part of the faithful remnant who were eagerly awaiting Messiah's arrival. Uh, as our previous series, we ended in Malachi, and we saw there at the end of Malachi that there was this small group of faithful people who knew God's word, believed God's word, and were eagerly living out God's word, looking for the truths of what God had revealed. And then we come after all that silence in between, and we have these examples, several examples here in the, in the Christmas story of those who were faithful to God's word and eagerly awaiting Messiah's arrival. 
And then we have Joseph, a, a righteous man, seen first in how he desired to, to, he desired to properly divorce Mary quietly so as not to shame her or, or to do anything that would harm her. And then again, his righteousness is followed up in obedience to faithfully care for Mary and to remain faithful to that marriage because of what God had told him to do. And then Mary, she was righteous in her purity and in her maintaining the marriage traditions. All of this reveals that they were people of incredible faith. So why? Why is this important for us to, to note these things and to see these things? Why uh, did Luke feel it important to include these things in his gospel? Because Luke wants it to be understood that this gospel, this Jesus, is not in conflict with, nor in contradiction to the Old Testament, but that it is a fulfillment, a continuation of the Old Testament in a new covenant. That as these people knew God's word and, and believed God's word and lived God's word, that is what allowed them to be considered, their faith in God's word allowed them to be considered as righteous so that when Messiah came, they knew it. And when, when, when the angel Gabriel tells Mary and Joseph what God is doing, they understand what God is doing in their midst. They have a knowledge of it because they have remembered God's word. And so why is it important? Because Luke wants us to understand that what is happening here is not in contradiction to or apart from, but is a continuation of the, new te- the Old Testament within a new covenant. And so we see Zechariah and Elizabeth. Two people who know God's word, faithful to follow God's word, eagerly looking for and awaiting the Messiah. And Mary and Joseph, younger couple, faithful to follow God's word, delivered through the angel Gabriel. And now we have Simeon and Anna, two wise people who had for ages followed the Lord in faithful obedience, knew God's word, and sought to live according to God's word. Anna is in the temple daily. Simeon knows God's word, is a righteous and devout man. And so there's two people who are characterized by their faith. So then we have to ask ourselves, if we first ask ourselves, like, like what can we learn from the faithful? Well, then we have to, to ask ourselves, well, what is biblical faith? What does that look like? What does that mean? Because this is what it means to be faithful, and that is to exhibit great faith. Now, most times when we hear and use that word faith today, it's, it's used kind of in the context of blind trust, of like, like not really knowing what's going to happen, but I have faith that it will, right? Or, or we use some definition that, that sounds right, that it feels good, but we don't really know what it means. So when we answer questions like this, we, we have to do so from a biblical worldview. What is solid biblical faith look like? What is it? Because we can't use the line from the Santa Claus, right? That's what I've, I've legitimately heard people when describing faith. Use the line from the Santa Claus. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Does it sound right? Sure, maybe. Is it a great movie line? Sure, yes, absolutely. But what does it actually mean when it comes to giving us a solid definition of faith? And specifically, as, it, as we look at the example of the faith, and, and really throughout Scripture, as we look at the examples of faith that we have, but specifically here in the Christmas story. 
And surely we as Christians can provide more concrete foundations for our faith than the Santa Claus. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. So, indeed, we can, as God has provided those foundations for us in his word. So I'll ask you, keep your finger there in Luke chapter 2, because obviously we've only gone through one verse, and we're not even finished with that. So we're still, we're still doing work here, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. So keep your verse there in Luke chapter 2, and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Because here we see a a tremendous definition of biblical faith. And in fact, it's a holistic view of biblical faith as as the author of Hebrews spans almost all of Scripture in giving examples of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. But he begins by giving us a solid foundation of what faith is. So Hebrews chapter 11, starting verse 1. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So notice those concrete words that we have there, reality and proof. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So there we have a solid, concrete definition for what biblical faith looks like. And that is reality, proof, these hard, fast, concrete terms. It is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And then you see there, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So where does faith come from? What is faith? So from this, we conclude that faith is a tangible, rock-solid thing in our spiritual lives, not some feel-good or sounds-right definition that doesn't actually mean anything. So from this, we see faith is living with the assurance that God's word is true and his promises are sure. Because by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So faith Faith is assurance. It is the reality of what we hope for. It is the proof of what we have not seen. So Simeon is part of a faithful remnant. Now say there in Hebrews 11. Simeon is, is part of a faithful remnant who have believed God's word, trusted in God's word, lived out God's word, and are eagerly awaiting God's word to be made clear and lived out in front of them. And they desire to be a part of that. And that's what we see in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth as well. So that God would provide salvation through the Messiah that he had promised according to his word. So they knew it was coming. They knew it was going to happen. Their desire was that they would get to see it and be a part of it. And how did they know? Where did that faith, that proof, that reality come from? It came from God's word. So faith is living with assurance that God's word is true and his promises are sure. So we move down there. Actually, a little few verses in Hebrews 11, you'll see in verse 6. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then you see there, because uh, the author of Hebrews there gives us multiple examples 
Now, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. We see all of these examples of incredible, biblical, solid faith. Not a blind trust, but a steadfast assurance in what God had said is the example that the author of Hebrews gives us there in all of these examples of faith. And we see there in verse 13, after listing these examples, and we see these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. So they, they died in faith that God would accomplish what he had said he would accomplish. Even though they didn't get to see what was promised, they knew that it would happen because God said it would happen in his word. And you continue reading there in verse 13. But they saw them from a distance. They saw them, that is the promises of God, from a distance and greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. That's good stuff right there. That they saw from a distance. They knew God's promises. They saw that it would be accomplished ahead of their time or later after their time. And so they knew God would do what he said he would do. They knew that God's promises were sure and that everything would come to pass as God said it would. And that is what propelled them in faith. Even though they didn't get to realize it or it didn't, it didn't play out in front of them like God said it was going to, but they didn't get to see it play out in front of them. They lived by faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God as we saw there in verse 6. And so how did they see it from a distance? How did they greet what did they greet? They greeted the promises of God. They saw from a distance the promises of God. It is God's word that motivates our faith. Faith is living with assurance that God's word is true and his promises are sure. So then the second question, so it was like, what can we learn from the example of the faithful? What, what is faith? And the third question is where, then, does faith come from? For that, I'll ask you to keep your finger there in Luke. Again, we're, we're coming back to Luke, I promise you. But to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. So in Hebrews, we, we saw this, this solid, clear definition of faith that it is living with assurance in God's word, knowing that it will come to pass, even if we don't get to see it, or even if we don't understand it. So now, where does faith come from then? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For you were, are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It's nothing that we can do. So faith is not simply, again, that's the distinction that I wanted to make earlier, is that the faith exhibited by these is not because they were so righteous, but rather they were considered righteous because of their assurance in God's word and their trust in God's word. And so you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. So where does faith come from? Faith is a gift of God's grace. Faith is a gift of God's grace. 
as we consider the characters of the Christmas story, we see that he has graced them with the ability to see his goodness in his word. And now he has graced them with the ability to see his word lived out in front of them and to uh, invite them to join him in accomplishing his will. And that is where their faith is rooted, in God's word, and that God's word is sure and his promises are true. You see, I didn't see it until God opened my eyes to it. That is faith. That faith is a gift from God. This is what we see in 2 Corinthians 4. If you're taking notes, I'm not going to make you turn to another one, but if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6, where we see that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. So the God of this age has blinded the minds of non-believers to keep them from seeing to keep them from believing, to keep them from having faith. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Faith is an absolute gift of God's grace. It is only by him revealing himself to us in his word and then calling us to live according to his word that we can have faith at all. And so with these things in mind, I told you we'd come back to it. Let us continue to unpack the rest of the passage here in Luke chapter 2, verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So for the majority of Simeon's life, he had lived in faithful obedience to God's word with hopeful expectation of seeing the Lord's Messiah and being the Lord's Messiah being sent in his lifetime. So as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in his heart, he's been given the promise that he would see Messiah before he died. What an incredible gift that it's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. That he gets to live with that confidence, knowing that he is not going to pass away before he gets to see in person the Messiah. To be promised that the very thing that you have eagerly waited for and anticipated and had complete faith and trust in would be promised to you by the Holy Spirit. That's what we see happen there in verse 26. So God works in and through the lives of those who live by faith. God works in and through the lives of those who live by faith. Because as we saw in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God works in and through the lives of those who live by faith. As we keep reading, verse 27. Guided then by the Holy Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said. So Simeon, true to his character, let's pause right there. Simeon, true to his character, walks in obedience to the Holy Spirit just as he had walked in faithful obedience to God's word all the way up to this point, 
And so as he's prompted by the Holy Spirit, he goes to the temple, walks in obedience, not knowing the joy that awaits him there. He doesn't know what's happening. He just knows that the Spirit prompted him to go to the temple. And as he enters the temple complex, he immediately knows exactly what the Spirit had prompted him to go to the temple for. And because at that exact same time as he's in the temple, I'll remind you how we started our sermon this morning with Ephesians 1.11, that God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. So at that exact time, this is not coincidence, the one-month-old Jesus enters the temple in the arms of his parents. And so these events are not coincidence, but are orchestrated by God's will and for God's glory. So here we see that those who live by faith are invited by God to join him in accomplishing his will. Because his will will be accomplished. His purposes will come to pass. And so as we live in faith to that and trust in that, he then invites us to join him in accomplishing his will. Again, it's not dependent upon us. It's nothing that we have done, but it's all a gift of his grace. And as we keep reading there, Simeon takes up the baby Jesus in his arms and begins to praise God, just as we had seen Mary shout out and praise to God, prompted by the Holy Spirit earlier. We saw the baby John kick with joy within his mother's womb. We saw Elizabeth praise God. We saw Zechariah, his mouth opened and praise God. Now we have Simeon, and he says this incredible praise. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. What confidence in God's word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. So what a beautiful testimony to God's grace and faithfulness to to provide what we desperately need but do not deserve according to his promise and that by God's grace we can see it and believe it. So that is what is at work here. So it is by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Simeon goes to the temple. And by the prompting of God's word, because he knew God's word and trusted God's word, had faith in God's word, he's able to see the Messiah and recognize what God was doing. Oh, that the same would be said of us as we eagerly await the second advent. Because as we see here, faith is trusting God's word will come to pass, even when it doesn't line up with our understanding. Faith is trusting God's word will come to pass even when it doesn't line up with our understanding. Simeon doesn't know why he's going to the temple. He's prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. And then he shouts out in the Holy Spirit and prays, as you promised, my eyes have seen your salvation. See, this is the confession of all of us who have realized the grace of God in Christ. That all of us have this same confession. As you promised, my eyes have seen your salvation. And as God has promised us that by grace, through faith, we understand. And this is our confession for those of us who know Jesus. That God's word is sure. His promises are true. We have faith in that. 
And because he is faithful to fulfill his promises, accomplish his will and his purposes, we, by his grace, can know him. And so the Messiah had been prophesied about and promised for ages, but there were very few, again, notice that there were very few who were faithful and ready to look for him. So it's the faith of the few that proves true here. Because there were many. Everybody had heard about all of these things, but there were very few who were ready to recognize them when they played out in front of them. See, the Messiah had been promised for ages. There are very few faithful to look for him and ready to recognize him when the time came. So faith is trusting God's word will come to pass even when it doesn't line up with our understanding. See, Simeon continues to display this as he warns Mary and Joseph that some things are going to happen that don't line up with their understanding. And he, as we continue to read, why does he know this? Because he knows God's word and has faith in God's word. We see in verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So remember, Simeon, much like Zechariah and Elizabeth, were part of that faithful remnant who trusted God's word and knew God's word. And this means that he knew all the prophecies about the Messiah. And that's the very reason why he was eager and expecting the Messiah. So not only was he prepared and able to recognize Jesus when he came, but he knew why Jesus had come according to God's word. And so as we continue reading, we're told about another faithful remnant who was ready to receive the Messiah. And Anna, picking back up in verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, again, Ephesians 1.11, God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. So at that very moment, no coincidence, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So God works in and through the lives of those who live by faith, and he invites them to join him in accomplishing his will. You see, the faith exhibited by Simeon and Anna in the first advent of Jesus are a model for those of us awaiting the second. That we would have a rock-solid understanding and knowledge of God's word and that we would have a rock-solid faith that God's word is true and his promises are sure and that they will come to pass even if we don't get to see it. And that is the faith that is rooted in God's word. Trust in the truths of God's word and then declares God's gospel. I'm looking forward to at Anna's example that she spent time in the temple serving God day and night with prayers and fasting. I'm looking forward to our intentional focus on prayer on Wednesday nights for a year-long time 
this upcoming year. As we look to Anna's example and we see that at that very moment she came up and began to thank God and speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. That we uh, also in looking forward to the new year are going to have an intentional emphasis on evangelism with our Who's Your One campaign in which I want to encourage each of us to have one person that we are working toward having an intentional gospel-centered conversation with throughout the year. A minimum of one person. That's not, that's not the maximum. That's the minimum. That we would all have one person who we are praying for and intentionally looking and working toward having a gospel-centered conversation with. Because in conclude, as we conclude this message, we see how do we respond to this? What do we do with this? How do we live according to this? See, for those of us in Christ, our response is twofold. We have two challenges for us. First, we thank God for his abundant grace to bring us to faith and for sending Jesus to secure our salvation. And then second, for those of us in Christ, we throw ourselves at the mercy of God, asking that he would increase our faith. Help me, Lord. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And then that he would help us to walk by faith and not by sight, increasing our knowledge and our love for his word and our trust in his word, just as Simeon and Anna displayed for us here. Because just as Simeon and Anna faithfully waited with eager expectation for the Messiah's first advent, so we too wait with eager expectation for the second growing, strengthening, and sharing our faith until Jesus comes again. So for those of us who are not in Christ this morning, if there be any here, the answer is clear. How you respond to this is repent and be saved. Trust in the work of Christ on the cross. See how God is drawing you to himself bringing you to faith, showing you himself in nature, in his word, how God is revealing himself and respond to the Holy Spirit's drawing you. And then for this purpose, because this is the purpose of Christmas, that God sent his son. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. We'll enter now into a time of response, and I want to challenge you, whether you are in Christ or not, that you would respond in obedience and faith. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for these truths revealed to us throughout your word, but specifically as they are so evident and clear here in the Christmas story, we see the faith of those who you call to join you in accomplishing your will of bringing your son. That when the fullness of time had come, when it came to the completion of your will, you saw fit to send Jesus into the world to redeem those under the law. And we bow and, and just complete honor and reverence and, and, and humility at what you have accomplished for us in Christ. And then we also ask that you would bolden us and strengthen us as we seek to share that good news with the world around us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>